The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, only one person who arrived here without a valid passport in recent years has faced criminal charges. That's since 2019. Now, the numbers are high. Uh, Last year, over 4,200 people arrived at Dublin Airport. In other words, they arrived by air uh, without travel documentations. So is it time to do something about this system? I'm joined by Senator, former Thornishta and former Attorney General Michael McDool and by the head of the Immigration and Human Rights Department at Ferry solicitors, Christina Stamatescu, good morning and welcome to you both. Uh, Michael McDool, first of all, these numbers are extraordinarily high because you have to show a document to get on a plane and then you get off the plane without them. Yeah, well, I mean, that that is a real example of how the system is broken. And recently um, uh, at the uh, Justice Committee, I inquired of the Department of Justice whether in fact um, the uh, there was any question of sharing the data, uh, you know, airline carriers coming into Ireland, would they actually um, give the data of, uh, you know, who got onto the plane uh, to the immigration officials in Ireland? And the answer to that is that no, no um, photograph uh, from the uh, passport is shared. So effectively, um, all the uh, immigration people uh, can have or will have uh, it, it, when, the, when the new system comes into operation is a list of names and that leaves them uh, effectively um, staring at people uh, at an immigration desk wondering who, who this person is. Um, the, the fact that there have been no prosecutions, now the, the Gardaí say, well, some people are sent directly back and then yeah. other people will claim that you don't need to have uh, documentation if you're arriving from uh, a war zone, for example. What do you say to th- those kind of explanations as to why well, no, I mean, ch- no charges virtually have been brought? It, it is the case that legally speaking, if you're seeking asylum, uh, the, the, whether or not you have a, a passport or a travel document is irrelevant. Um, there's no doubt about that, but we have to deal with the, the realities. We're dealing with uh, you know, um, immigration from Georgia, which has visa-free access to the EU for its citizens, and from Albania, which is also considered a safe country. So, I mean, um, we're, we're dealing with uh, flows of migration um, in, uh, in which substantial cohorts are coming from places which Ireland does not believe um, uh, are, are um, persecuting their own people. And um, on any view of the matter, um, at least 80% of all asylum applications fail. So that means the four-fifths of everybody who comes to Ireland um, in the end is found not to be um, a, 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 per, a person entitled to asylum protection. So, you know, we're dealing with also figures of between sixteen and 18,000 now people annually coming to Ireland claiming uh, asylum. We're dealing with a housing crisis. We, we, we have to provide... Uh, accommodation for all of those people. Uh, the system is absolutely broken and I think that uh, Minister Roderick O'Gorman uh, isn't really, his heart isn't really in taking the steps that are needed. Yeah. To, uh, now, it's interesting, when you talk about uh, visa-free uh, access to the EU for Georgian citizens, there's no issue at all with them coming on a holiday, for example, and paying their own way. If they come to Ireland, they've got visa-free. All they do is show their passport, go through emigration, and then if they decide to stay here, um, you know, and attempt to work and so on, 
they go through the normal situations one presumes to seek a, a per- permit to work a, and so on. But they're not doing that. This is what you're saying. They're looking for the state to put them up and uh, pay them whatever. Well, if they come uh, on, a ho- on a holiday basis, they're not entitled to work. No, but I mean, get, if they decide, they won't, they won't you know, we'll, we'll stay here. Uh, we like the yeah. cut of this country. It seems like a very nice yeah. place. Uh, so let's apply for a work permit. Um, well, the first thing they do is they apply for asylum. And after six months um, in direct provision, they're entitled to uh, seek a, a work mm. permit. So that's the situation that we're dealing with. So, I mean, the reality is, you know, um, Ireland is in the middle of an accommodation crisis. I mean, your last item <laughs> shows very much how, how, how that is the case. You know, it's a, a political crisis, it's, a, it's a, a, a resources crisis, it's an economic crisis. And the simple fact is that um, the abuse of asylum seeking, which is definitely at the rate of at least 80%, um, is something that we simply can't allow to continue. Now, obviously, if we become draconian, which we don't want to do, we turn away people who are desperately in need of help. Um, so that that notion that you let eight people come in who shouldn't really be here in order to save the two out of the ten who desperately need to be here. Well, I mean, when I say, uh, you know, 20 percent of, 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 of a person seeking international protection, uh, their, their case is upheld. I mean, there are people there who are joining family members and the like. Um, it isn't really a case of uh, they, they, are all, they are all fleeing persecution. Many of them uh, seek subsidiary protection in Ireland. And the other thing is, you know, going back uh, past to the uh, original convention in respect of re- refugees, it was a post-Second World War um, measure in, re- in relation to war refugees. In the, it was later extended to political refugees, persecution of that kind, state persecution, um, but it was done at a time when international travel was far less um, available right across the world. It's now being used as, um, in the main, um, uh, you know, at least 80% of it is, in fact, a cover for migration. And, um, you know, if we have a migration policy, I have no problem about Georgian um, construction workers wanting to work on Irish sites, but they, they should apply for a visa and they should be given a work permit. Um, but the the problem with uh, abusing asylum-seeking uh, procedures is that those people uh, effectively um, come here and we then have to deal with them and provide them with a- accommodation while we sort out whether they are who they claim to be and whether they have a genuine uh, claim. So, uh, so claim n- not alone, you're saying, is it a cost on the exchequer in order to house and uh, look after people with medical help and so on if they uh, end up requiring it, but it's also massively time-consuming of um, a bureaucracy that might do better with the people who, you know, really need our help uh, if it weren't for the clogging up of the system by those who really don't need our help. Well, that's the point, but it's difficult to work out who, who is in the 10 or 20 percent of genuine um, persons fleeing persecution and who are just migrants pretending to be fleeing persecution. Uh, it's sorting out, that the process of sorting that out needs to be dramatically overhauled so that a decision is made 
within uh, you know yeah. um, now, matter of, uh, at the most a matter of two months one of the suggestions from a listener is those arriving without documents are trafficked a host travels with them after corruptly getting them through passport control then takes the fake passports back traveling on the next return flight to do it all again the idea that as the plane approaches Dublin airport an individual stands up goes to various seats around the aircraft give me back that fake passport please puts it in the bag and uh, passes through immigration him or herself very quickly only to board another flight and get out of town uh, before they might be uh, sussed is is that a credible scenario that is credible in places like albania and georgia there is a, a system of trafficking people and there are people who uh, escort people uh, onto flights and by the way there are no direct flights from either tirana in albania or the Tbilisi in 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 in, uh, in in Georgia to Dublin. So these people are flying through airports and they're choosing Ireland. And that's another aspect of of, of, of international refugee law. The, the notion that you can uh, get to a safe country and then say, well, there's another safer country that I would like to go to uh, further on, whose um, you know whose um, employment prospects are better. So I'll, I'll, I'll choose that. That was never originally part of. Um, what was mm. contemplated. But, but, but you know, like, countries yeah. that are on the front line uh, of this kind of uh, process, yeah. countries like Greece, like Italy, like Malta in the EU, are saying, look, we're we're taking more than our share. It will be a topic for discussion by the EU leaders this week. But they're saying, look, you can't, you can't ask us to uh, obey the Dublin Convention and take, you know, everyone yeah. who lands on our shores stays here because we can't handle it. They've watered down the Dublin Convention and they're aiming, and I think it's, it's something that Ireland, that there should be a real debate about uh, in, in public in Ireland and no kind of virtue signalling on it. They're, um, they're proposing um, a, a regime of allocating um, uh, refugees across the member states. That's fine as long as they are genuine refugees and found to be before they are allocated. But if we're simply told that we must take um, X percent of the people turning up in, on the south, uh, coast of Spain or Italy and then work out whether they are refugees in the end, how are we going to accommodate them and when are we ever going to send them the 80% back? We just can't do it. And this is the same problem that the British government is dealing with in their rather extraordinary way in relation to uh, people crossing the channel on boats. And one last other, other point, uh, Pat, is this, that, um, you know, we do have a common travel area with the United Kingdom. And uh, we have passport-free um, travel in, into the United Kingdom at, at the border in, in Ireland. Uh, and, you know, we can't simply allow Ireland to become a backdoor to the United Kingdom either. And that's um, uh, uh, for, for, for migrants who, who don't qualify as refugees. And that's a big problem. Yeah, well, that's uh, part of the uh, Brexit fallout, I suppose, as well. Michael McDowell, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Now, listening to that conversation, uh, we have the head of uh, Immigration and Human Rights at Ferry Solicitors, Christina Stamatescu. Christina, uh, what do you make of of these statistics? They are pretty alarming that people arrive in huge numbers, 4,200 at an airport uh, without documentation. I, I've been listening, Pat, and it's it's very hard to follow such statistics. And I I, I hear everything that's being said. 
However, I have the different side experience and I'm coming from the perspective where I hear the stories and I'm talking to people that arrive and claim international protection. Um, just, I, I think it's worth clarifying that people that come in and claim asylum, they don't apply for just asylum. It's called international protection, and there's three applications that are submitted as part of that. One is asylum, one subsidiary protection, and one leave to remain. So the, the idea that whoever comes only gets asylum or not may not be correct, because from my experience in particular, leave to remain is granted in first instance, where it is accepted that asylum or subsidiary protection does not meet the threshold to being granted, and there is an assessment in terms of good character, connection with Ireland, ability to work. And then that is being granted at a first instance. OK, so, so um, do we know how many of the, the people who arrived without documentation and how you know, if you don't know the identity of someone, how you establish they're of good character is a bit of a mystery if they don't have documentation. Mm-hmm. But w- what happens but, to them then? Do they, are they then released to go about their business as they wish uh, or are they afforded some sort of accommodation? Well, the the decision is not issued straight away, um, and there is an accelerated procedure uh, in terms of uh, Georgia, Albania, and uh, safe countries. Um, so since November last year, there is a particular, we have, uh, us practitioners in the area have a lot to give out about this accelerated procedure. However, it is in place, and the whole process in terms of the initial stage is being processed uh, in an accelerated basis. What does that so, mean? Because um, we've seen people in in direct provision for almost a decade before they have a final decision. So what does accelerated mean? Does it mean two weeks? Does it mean two days? Does it mean a month? It means that the person that applies for international protection has their questionnaire filled in, which is the the. their claim put in writing um, at the time they're making this application, which before November, it could take months to have that submitted. And subsequent to that, it takes a few weeks to get an interview, which before November could take a year or two to get an interview. And after this interview, you would be issued with a decision, which before would take months, but now it takes weeks. So from, Um, from the moment someone arrives and is looking for this decision, this accelerated decision, what would be the, you know, from day one, what day number would it be before they get permission to to stay or they'd be expelled? Well, indeed. Uh, so it, it would take, on the basis of an accelerated procedure, someone that would get a positive decision. I don't have the figures myself. I think it's a matter for the state to confirm this. But it would be, uh, I'd say, weeks or months. Uh, if the person receives a negative decision, they're entitled to an appeal. And the appeal procedure is, again, on accelerated basis, which now is on paper. And um, other countries are subject to having an oral hearing. And that would would be subject to an opinion from counsel if it is to go to the High Court to be challenged, if there is any legal technical mistakes. And who's paying and for all I'll, of this, all this um, legal process? There is a legal aid scheme in place. Uh, we practitioners that are taking legal aid cases uh, agree that it is a very small figure for the amount of work that has to be paid. But the, the, the but, general I mean, the state, attitude... The state for, is paying for it. Yes. So, so someone who eventually, so, someone who's eventually thrown out of Ireland and is probably going to have their 
fare paid on the plane to get them out, they will have exhausted a huge amount of money on the part of the state in legal fees and so on and so forth. It doesn't seem to be an ideal situation. You know, it is great when it works for people who desperately need uh, asylum and help. But for people who don't, who are chancing their arm, they can cost us an awful lot of money before the process is finished. Uh, and I agree with this, and that's why there's uh, people that are being deported, and there's an effective system in place. However, it is very important not to lose the people that, as you say, need the protection and are entitled to to have these decisions issued correctly and fairly and to have their human rights and all their rights uh, protected. So it, it is indeed uh, a number that... It is concerning in terms of the people that are coming in. However, you cannot punish or you cannot take a stand because one, there's one bad person. You cannot say because one human being killed someone else, all human beings are bad. No, but quite clearly our system is a bit dysfunctional. It's not, a, it's not an efficient way of doing our business so that we can help the maximum number of people and eliminate those who don't require our help and, as I say, who are chancing their arm. And it is that on the basis that it is taking a considerable time to process it. Is that the proposal? Yeah, I I, I mean, I don't know what uh, reforms might be possible, but the whole business of people arriving without documentation who don't appear on the face of it to be persecuted, that is the issue for our immigration people and a very difficult issue it is. And I understand um, uh, your point of view. However, it is following a a lengthy consultation with someone that you might find out certain things that wouldn't have been apparent that would make them automatically entitled to an asylum decision. So it is on the face of it, 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 it's hard to define that and what does on the face of it means that someone might have or may not have a claim. So that's why there's practitioners that are specialized in the area and were able to act on their behalf. And I think it's, it, it's an understanding and it can be contested that people arriving and claiming international protection are entitled to legal assistance. So if that's how the system is now, and uh, I understand that there's the difficulties in terms of accommodation, however, it can't all be blamed on asylum seekers. Um, and I understand the issue of direct provision and all the pros and cons against it. And I'm looking at, at files that I have in the office, people that have arrived a year and a half ago and they haven't got their first instance interview. And yeah. I'm sending warning letters after warning letters. So I do appreciate that the applicants should be con- applications should be considered on an accelerated basis because there are people that are entitled to a positive sure. decision and they can't benefit yeah. from it. And, and uh, the old uh, expression justice delayed is justice denied and that uh, certainly applies to people who are left in limbo for far too long. Uh, Christina, thank you very much for joining us. Christina Stamatescu, Head of Immigration and Human Rights at Ferries Solicitors. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.